my first caution to your entrepreneurs is, uh, if, if you have a nice business model and it's boring, please fall in love with it. Don't kick it to the curb, because had I, had I stuck with my window washing business, I'd, I'd probably have, uh, I don't know, 500 franchises by now. Because today you can be an investor class with five bucks. So, okay, my other cautionary tale is invest a little bit as soon as you can and keep investing a little bit because otherwise you get to the point where you go, wow. <laughs> so, so most of our transactions take place uh, in the digital world. Uh, most of our customer uh, contact and customer management takes place in the digital world. But there's a physical component because they're, they're actually renting a space someplace. And that's next on Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. So, the big question is this. How are ambitious people like us, who don't have a lot of resources, did not go to Ivy League colleges, were not born into wealth, how do we become resourceful enough, use our creativity, our dedication, and a little bit of crazy to bootstrap our way to realizing our dreams? Whether it is launching a new company, launching a new app, or making it to the top of the corporate ladder. That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. Hey listeners and viewers, we have created a tremendous community of bootstrappers, entrepreneurs, and professionals who are ambitious, resourceful, and want to get things done. We brainstorm, support, and help each other out. Come join us, navigate to bootstrapping.group, that is bootstrapping.group. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dreams Show. I'm your host Manuj Agarwal and today we'll be talking with Tron Jordheim. Tron has a long track record of sales, marketing, management and contact center innovations. He's in the business development uh, uh, field. Uh, he's a manager for Store Here, an innovative self-storage company with its own call center which owns and operates sites and manages uh, storage for others. Ron has also uh, offers consulting about uh, call centers, sales, and marketing programs. He advises on new projects and fine-tune operations. As a CMO and senior VP, he led SEO, SEM, interactive, mobile, social media, conversion science, data analytics, call center, and sales initiatives. Wow. His teams, projects, and efforts have created billions of dollars in revenue. So, um, welcome, Tron. We are so excited well, to thanks. Uh, your story and learn from you. Oh, it's well, it's so fun to be with you, Manuja. I appreciate you taking the time. So, uh, I've created billions of dollars for other people. I haven't quite gotten to the billion dollars for myself yet. Yeah. I'm a few zeros short, so I'm working on it. So, I know, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so so that's uh, that's one of the uh, honors of uh, being a middle and upper management and an entrepreneur kind of person is that uh, you have the pleasure of creating wealth for other people, and when the projects work out well, you create a little bit for yourself. Uh, you'd like them to work out to where you create a lot for yourself. So we keep yeah. we keep plowing forward, right? That's what exactly. we do. We keep plowing exactly. forward. I'm right there with you, and a lot of uh, in uh, a lot of people in our audience are right there with you as well. Right, right, and so uh, you you can tell I get bored easily because I've been involved in all kinds of things. 
And, uh, and I love to learn. So, you know, anytime there's something new, I've, I've got to poke it. I've got to play with it. I've got to see what I can do with it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not as smart as a lot of people out there, but I sure do like to play with things. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of times you figure out some really cool stuff, but it has no application to the current project. So you just kind of forget it and keep moving and then find the next interesting thing. So, exactly. Exactly. yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Great. And um, I'm, I'm, you know, very amazed uh, that you started your entrepreneurial journey very early. Like uh, the first business that you started was, was in sixth grade. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a lot of my friends worked at grocery stores, sacking groceries or riding the delivery bikes. And, you know, everybody needs money. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I thought they worked awful hard for very little money. I thought that doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, and, uh, I lived in Brooklyn, New York at the time. And in those days, uh, there was so much business done locally. The, the local business street was just full of, uh, small offices, small retail shops, small grocery stores, and they all employed window cleaners. And I looked at all the windows. I thought, well, you know, I can, I can reach all of that with a stepladder. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why don't I go see what I can do? So I went and stopped in a bunch of businesses and just said, hey, I'll clean your windows for you for less than you're paying now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody thought it was so cute that the, a kid was trying to hustle a little, a little bit of a living. So mm-hmm. I ended up with the nice window washing route and, uh, and did that for a while till I got bored of it, which, mm-hmm. you know, so my first caution to your entrepreneurs is uh, if, if you have a nice business model and it's boring, please fall in love with it. Don't kick it to the curb because yeah. had, I, had I stuck with my window washing business, I'd, I'd probably have, uh, I don't know, 500 franchises by now because yeah, yeah. it was an easy business. All you had to do was work on the windows long enough to make sure they were clean and say thank you with a smile. So it was an easy business, but uh, I got bored and moved on to other things, right? So that's, that's also the entrepreneur's dilemma, right? Yeah, for sure. But that was a lot of fun. And that taught me a lot about selling, right? All I had to do was come in and be nice and ask and enough people would say, yes, the the project worked. So that was really fun. And so that was kind of my first real experience. And and ever since then, I've been doing all kinds of things, depending on what, what I was interested in at the time or you know, here lately, since becoming an adult, I realized that uh, there's also, you know, you should stay on a good path and you should develop your connections and not just kind of bounce from whatever looks like fun to the next thing. That's fine to do when you're 16, 20, whatever, but still. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's a very uh, uh, meaningful lesson right there. But tell me a little bit about uh, your um, thought process there. Like, were you not intimidated with the with the height and going and talking to these people and negotiating these deals at uh, at such a young age? Uh, I guess not. I mean, uh, I was I was kind of a cocky kid, you know. So I guess I guess it didn't bother me. I just went in and said, "Hey, I can wash your windows for you," and uh, Whatever you're paying now, pay me a little less and I'll take care of it for you. And I had enough people just go, okay. So, uh, and I didn't need a whole lot of tools, really. I just did it with a can of window cleaner and a roll of paper towels. And none of the windows were higher than maybe 
10 feet, so I wasn't really going up very far. I, I didn't, anyone who had any high work, I said, no, I can't do that because I had no idea how to do it and sure, sure. I couldn't have afforded the tools if I knew how to do it. So, yeah. you know, there I learned a little lesson about staying in your lane or whatever you call it. So I could do the low windows. I'm not doing the high windows. <laughs> yeah. Smart idea. Okay, great. And then uh, uh, you have a certain love for um, dogs and uh, you started a canine training business. Uh, tell us a little yeah. bit about that. So that was a lot of fun. I've, I always loved working with dogs and being around dogs. And mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I watched, I, I don't know if any of your listeners or, or your viewers have ever seen the Rin Tin Tin series. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go look up on YouTube. It was, mm -hmm. it was you know, every little kid's dream to have a, a magnificent German Shepherd in, yeah. when I was coming up. So I found some people who, who bred German Shepherds and trained them. And I thought, oh, man, this is so cool. So I got into it and stayed in that business for a long time, training dogs, uh, buying and selling dogs, breeding dogs. Uh, I was one of the, the people who, who early on in this sort of development of dog business imported dogs from Germany and Austria and Hungary, brought them into the U.S., finished some training with them, uh, and then they went on to either police departments or private people who wanted really nice protection dog pets and mm -hmm. things like that. That was a lot of fun. Uh, did that for a long time. Uh, but, you know, then it was time to move on. And uh, sort, of, sort of two lessons I learned there. One is that you can grow yourself broke. Uh, I, was, I was doing enough business that I expanded my business somewhat and really got to the point where I couldn't support the expansion anymore with how I was doing it. And, uh, you know, you can't do that. You can't, you, people grow themselves broke. So you got to be yeah. careful not to do that. And the other thing that happened was I had no backup plan in case the economy turned against me. Mm -hmm. And what happened was this was, I was, doing a pretty nice business around the time when the exchange rate between the German mark and the US dollar changed dramatically. Mm. And it, it almost doubled the cost of the dogs I was buying. I and my, my biggest profit margin was coming from so fairly inexpensive dogs compared to the rest. Uh, so I, I couldn't, I couldn't <coughs> make a profit on those anymore. So you know, the economy turned against me. That can happen. Uh, so you should always have a backup plan for what if the economy turns against you. I had no control over the exchange rate. That was uh, between uh, Reagan and Willy Brandt or whoever was running Germany at the time, yeah. right? So mm -hmm. those kinds of things happen to people a lot. Yeah. You know, you, things are going pretty well and then the conditions change and you go, oh, I, I don't have a way to fix that yeah so uh, do you uh, now looking back do you think there was something that you could have done to protect yourself or you know uh, the first point that you raised you uh, grew so uh, so much rapidly um, but you could not sustain the growth so are there any uh, lessons now looking back that you could have sort of implemented to protect yourself against those uh, issues oh oh definitely uh, I, I could have uh, done a different model and how I was doing things. I, I could have uh, 
added a, a second phase to my business that was not reliant on the exchange between uh, European dogs and the U.S. There, there were things available to me, but I didn't find them interesting, so I didn't pursue them. Uh, yeah. And I should have had a mentor who knew something about business. Yeah. I, I, I could guess what a cash flow analysis was, you know, for me at the time, my cash flow analysis was, did the wad of cash in my pocket give me the ability to buy a nice dog if I found one and yeah. the owner wanted to sell it right then and there, mm. right? Because that's how I lot of, found a lot of nice dogs. I just meet someone and they had a nice dog and they couldn't keep it and we'd quickly come to an agreement and I'd buy it right then. So that was my concept of cash flow analysis. You know, I discovered some years later, uh, yeah, it's a little more involved than that. Yeah. So had I had a mentor who actually knew about business, mm -hmm. um, they could have looked at the growth I was having and the income I was generating. And they would have said, you know, this is a nice little business. We have some ways to, first of all, make this sustainable, make this yeah. last in the long term, build in some backup maybe, you know, find some ways to build up reserves quickly. So someone who knew something about business management would have had a lot of fun because it was a nice little business. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have that at the time. I uh, didn't really know I needed to do that at the time. And, uh, you know, I was a stubborn, cocky kid. And maybe, maybe someone tried to give me the advice. I don't remember. I might have just yeah. blown them off. So Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> that, that happens, happens too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then uh, in, in this uh, phase, you also helped the NYC to build up their canine unit. Is that right? Yeah. So, so there was a lot of things happening in the dog world at the time. And New York City decided it was going to reestablish a canine program. Mm -hmm. And so I was one of the guys who helped get that going by donating a bunch of dogs to them and uh, offering some training support on the side and things like that. Uh, and, you know, so sometimes I've been ahead of my time, you know, uh, at the time that was just kind of getting started, but yeah. there's not, there's not a small town in the U S today that doesn't have two or three canines on the sure, police sure. force. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was a little ahead of myself maybe, but that was a lot of fun to see that develop and they turned that into a pretty nice program. So exactly. that's fun. They are in yeah. movies now these days, huh? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. And then uh, moving on, you went into a bottled water business then. Yes, yes. So, so I thought to myself after the dog thing, you know, uh, I, probably need to, I probably need to go do something else because that, you know, that didn't happen. So I looked around and thought, well, what, apparently I'm pretty good at selling because I can I seem to be able to sell dogs and sell training programs pretty well. I must know how to sell something. So I should really go learn how to sell correctly. Mm -hmm. what's, a, what's an interesting business that people need? And so I kind of looked around and uh, I, I stumbled upon, uh, you know, the bottled water business. I mean, I knew it existed, but I thought, my gosh, what a great business for New York City. All mm -hmm. those old buildings have crappy pipes and lousy tasting water. Even if the New York City municipal water is great, when it leaves the reservoirs, by the time it comes out of the tap, yeah, I'm not sure you want to drink that. And at the time, you know, you, we think today that we do nutty stuff without thinking of environmental impact.
But at that time, there were buildings in Manhattan whose drinking water was part of the AC circulation system to cool the uh, HVAC systems. So they ran the drinking water through the HVAC systems to cool the HVAC systems before it came out at the tap. So I'm not even sure what you were drinking there. (laughs) So anyway, I thought, well, I know I could do this. So I had some great mentors at the Great Bear Water Company who, who really taught me how to do cold call selling. And, you know, this is just not available to most people today. So what we would do is we'd have to go knock on at least 50 doors every day. If you made 50 new cold calls every day, the numbers would work out that you'd sell enough new accounts that you'd do okay. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. We, we each had a piece of the city that we worked and every day we went out and canvassed a new building or an old building. And, you know, in doing that, you'd make some connections. So I had a whole long list of all of the uh, building maintenance and security guys in the big buildings. So when it was time to work those buildings, I just go in and, and go see my guy in the building and he'd say, I have two new tenants for you, you know, mm-hmm. office A, office B, I'd go up, sell him, give him his split. And I'd be out of there. So it was fun. We built up a nice business. Great. And uh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, you were just telling the story. So how, how did it uh, grow and what happened then? Well, so that whole business grew nicely enough that um, the, you've heard, you maybe have heard of KKR, the uh, private equity firm that buys up all kinds of companies. Mm-hmm. So they bought Great Bear from the family and yeah. then they spun that off to, I don't know who they spun it off to. And then they spun it off to the Perrier group. So right. at the time, the Perrier group was buying bottled water companies all over the United States and springs all over the United States because mm-hmm. they saw how big their bottled water business was in Europe. And then yeah. they saw that it was starting to grow in the U.S., and over a few years' time, they consolidated and bought up so many water companies. And uh, ours was one of them. And so a- another cautionary tale is that, you know, when you're an employee and you're on a roll, uh, you have to watch the news because when, when the company gets taken over, changes will happen. Yeah. And it was very different style. When the, when the original family ran the business, they wanted to make sure that the salespeople and the bottled water delivery people all made a really good living because mm-hmm. for them, turnover was painful. Yeah. Right? When the new company took over, they came in and they told us all, you guys make too much money. We're firing you all. We're like, uh-huh. oh, nice. Okay. Well, see ya. Yeah, so yeah. That, that kind of stuff happens all the time too. And unless you're prepared for that, yeah. Um, then, you know, you have a bad day and then you figure out what the next thing's going to be. So, and that was a, that was a big change in, in what happened in the bottled water business. I see. I see. Yeah. So then, uh, what, what is the lesson that you learned? What could, I, could you have done to protect yourself from that situation? Well, so one thing that I could have done to protect myself was, to uh, take all the bonus money and invest it in things that were going to grow, yeah, yeah. right? Where instead, uh, I was under the false impression that I wasn't making enough money to be an investor. Where 
and and that has changed today with some of the tools available to you now with some of the investment apps and some of the investment programs you can be an investor with five dollars now and at least get started right so those kinds of things weren't really available and for for folks like us who were you know the sales guys um nobody had any kind of programs available that weren't sounding like scams, right? People had ways and they were working on things, but when you went to visit them, you thought, eh, this doesn't sound good. And you couldn't find the people who were in the programs who had any long-term success. So you'd have to walk away because yeah. they couldn't prove that it worked, right? Yeah. Anyway, sure. that is different today. Today, you can be an investor class with five bucks. So, okay, my other cautionary tale is invest a little bit as soon as you can and keep investing a little bit because otherwise you get to the point where you go, wow, <laughs> uh, I missed out on a growth spurt there. Yeah, exactly. So, and so yeah. what is your favorite investment vehicle right now? So uh, I'm a self-storage geek, right? So I've, I'm involved in a few self-storage projects that, that I like very much because those are uh, those are both operating businesses and appreciating uh, hard assets, right? At the same time, so I like those. You, not everybody, you know, is uh, probably should be doing things they don't know that much about. Sure, and then uh, I love playing around with all the little investment apps that just make it really easy to invest. You know, fifty dollars here, hundred dollars there. Just keep you know plowing a few things into this, that, and the other thing. Uh, I don't know what the next uh, Google or Microsoft is going to be. If I knew, I would, I don't know if I'd tell you if I knew, but I don't know. So (laughs) no, no, I I just meant uh, whether it's stock market, whether it's cryptocurrencies, like nothing specific, but you know, just kind of general, general vehicle for your investment. Well, I, I think the smart thing to do is to is to dabble in a little bit of everything. I think that's right. the, that's the smart thing to do, and then you know focus on things you understand, things yeah. that you can see the horizon of what's happening with them. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah, you know, for sure, uh, for sure. Because otherwise, you know, maybe you do okay, maybe you don't, and then it just depends on when you need your when you need your liquidity, at yeah. what cycle you need your liquidity. If you need it at the wrong time, then it wasn't that fun for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So so let's talk about uh, uh, storage. Uh, Sure. uh, How did you get involved in this business and how far apart uh, from the water business to this new business uh, was the gap? Oh, so that's a a good question. So, So the gap in and how it works is is very very short so i I got involved in the self storage business because I was working for an, another bottled water company uh, here in Missouri mm-hmm. and thought it might be time to go do something else and uh, There were some local guys here in town who had built up a very nice self storage business and they were looking to create a call center so a contact center that was going to serve the industry as an outsourcer uh, mm-hmm. because uh, what people discovered was that if you had someone answering the phone for your self storage property who knew how to create leads, uh, man, your sales went through the roof. So this was a period in the self storage business where it went from a very passive sort of 
the people running it, basically all they did was collect rent. It yeah. went from that to becoming a sales organization. And so I was a part of that whole transition. With the call center we built up, we, we, we helped flip the self-storage business on its head because mm -hmm. all of a sudden it became a sales and marketing game where before it, it was not. Yeah, yeah. And, and so based on that, uh, as that, the company grew, I got more involved on the self-storage side and then really took over the marketing for the company mm -hmm. uh, at about the time when the internet was starting up. So I got to you know, be part of that whole Wild West thing before, before there was any barbed wire, before yeah, yeah. there were any towns. You know, we were out there chasing cows around and uh, that was pretty fun and pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and, and, you know, based on that, if you look at the self-storage business now, it's, it's an online business, right? It's become a digital business where there's a physical component. So it's, it's pretty fun. I see. I see. So, yeah. um, w what is the root cause of this growth? Is it you know? Is it people buying too much stuff? They are you know hoarding too much stuff, or what's going on there? So, I think a couple things happened. So, in the in the seventies, when uh, self storage really started taking over, there was a couple things happening there. Um, as the Vietnam War wound down lots of people came back lots of people moved so they had to store their stuff places as the as the military kind of scaled back a little bit mm -hmm. at the same time the the baby boomers were starting to get stuff and most of their parents had lived through some very lean times yeah. and so some of the reaction of baby boomers was uh, we never had stuff when I was a kid. My parents never had stuff. So I'm going to go get stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to get toys. I'm going to get possessions. I'm going to get neat stuff. And at the same time, advertising started getting very sophisticated. And inflation started making it look like we all had more money. And so people started collecting stuff. And then inflation made it look like real estate was a great uh, investment. And people started buying and selling homes more. And mm -hmm. jobs started moving around. So we had a lot of movement to people. And that just kept growing. And, uh, you know, n now we're at the point where, you know, uh, people in their, uh, you know, 40s, 50s or whatever, uh, they're in the sandwich, right? They've, they've mm -hmm. got parents with a lot of stuff. Yeah, Something yeah. has to happen with that stuff. They've got their own stuff. They're holding stuff for their kids. Maybe their kids have given them stuff to hold, right? So there's a <laughs> lot of, there's just a lot of stuff out there mm -hmm. and it's got to go somewhere. Plus, you know, most people are living in smaller uh, homes or apartments than they did 10 or 20 years ago. So they need an extra storage closet, an extra storage room somewhere for their seasonal stuff, for just whatever they're holding for later. Uh, it's, uh, it's really fascinating. Yeah, no, I can relate to that. I have a full basement of stuff that I have no idea what to do with. Right, right, but you don't want to get rid of it because as soon as exactly. you get rid of it, you'll need it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, slowly I'm, I'm trying to get rid of it and letting go. Um, but tell me a little bit about this now. Uh, you know, self-storage uh, sounds like a very unsexy business, you know, very sort of uh, traditional old business, but yeah. it's still a profitable business. You know, um, it's, it's fascinating to know about this. Like a lot of people probably do not understand this business and 
from what you are saying, sounds like it is quite a profitable business. Well, it, it can be if it's done correctly. But like so many other profitable businesses, it's also easy to mess it up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and it's also really uh, starting to mature. So if you look at the big public companies that do self-storage, yeah, yeah. Uh, and almost all of them do it really well, some of it do it extra really well, mm-hmm. uh, their uh, net uh, operating income growth is somewhere between 2 to 5 to 6%. Okay. Uh, that's not crazy growth. Now, that's very respectable growth. But during some of the boon times of uh, self-storage, when when, uh, supply could not nearly satisfy the demand in markets and where uh, real estate prices allowed us to go in and build some really nice properties at some in some fantastic locations and busy, busy metro areas. Uh In those times, there were people getting double-digit net operating income growth year over year. That's that's impressive. So now it's ratcheted down to where it's just a normal profitable business. Okay. Uh, Now, there's still people who are finding value-add properties or finding properties they can, you know, figure out how to tweak, and they're still doing very well with them. But those are fewer and harder to find. Uh, and it takes a lot of skill and knowledge to do that. We're kind of at the phase in self-storage now where there's new people coming in, uh, people who are maybe flipping houses or had some apartments or things like that, and they're coming into self-storage thinking it's going to be you know, the next big kaboom. Uh, those, those folks have to be careful because they don't have the resources to weather the things in the economy they don't have control over, or they don't have the resources to weather a mistake that an expert wouldn't make and those kinds of things. So that's kind of where we are now. Uh, It's still a very good business and it's going to continue to be a good business because people will still have stuff. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's stuff. Uh, Um, and one point you brought up was uh, now it's turning into a digital business with a physical component. Could you unpack us uh, that statement for us? What do you mean? Like, right. is it? Yeah. So, so most of our transactions take place uh, in the digital world. Uh, most of our customer uh, contact and customer management takes place in the digital world. But there's a physical component because they're they're actually renting a space someplace. Mm-hmm. So they're not, you know just uh, downloading another app to play with, right? They're not just downloading a component to a game they play online or whatever. There's actually a physical component there, but the majority of our business is transacted uh, on mobile phones through yeah. our apps and things like that. So it's, it's interesting to see that. I see. I see. So um, let's say if somebody wanted to start a business in this field, um, mm-hmm. how will they go about doing that? Like, you know, uh, do you, uh, are you at the liberty to share some ideas? Uh, let's say somebody wants to start a self-storage company. Uh, how can they get their uh, first customer? Yeah. All that? Well, so, so the thing to do really is to find somebody who's a self-storage consultant, whether it's me or somebody else, go find somebody who knows what they're doing mm-hmm. and, and make sure that, this project is going to work. So you've only got a couple of ways to do it. You either have to buy an existing property 
-hmm. You have to find a building that's suitable to be converted into self-storage, or you have to start from the ground up and build a new one. All three of those are fraught with risks and full of opportunities. And, yeah. and, it, and it just really depends on a lot of different factors. Mm-hmm. Like, where are you planning to do this? What's that market look like? Yeah. Uh, what's the potential to grow it? How are you going to run it? Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and very, very importantly, how are you going to finance it? Because yeah. many times nice projects fail because of the way it was financed and the way that financing was structured. And sometimes you'll see a project and you think, my gosh, that thing is ugly. Who would want that? And then you check it out and you go, wow, that is a moneymaker. And they financed that in a very clever way. And those are some smart folks, right? So you don't always know driving by what you're looking at. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, And and so, you know, there's a real estate component uh, attached to this. So I I would assume that, you know, financing could be a little bit easier because there's a secured loan option and stuff like that or... Uh, as compared to like a totally 100% digital business where, uh, you know, it's, it's generally just an idea on paper or how does that work? Right. So you, you do have the real estate as, as some solid uh, component, some solid asset they're loaning against. Yeah. But primarily what, what they're loaning against is your future income. So it is an interesting mix between operating business and real estate assets. So and you're basing your estimates and performance and promises based on future income. And if you get that guess wrong, uh, then, then it becomes tricky. Uh, what are you going to do if you can't make the note? You know, yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? Uh, that's tricky. And it, it doesn't happen much. I'll say that the default rate in self-storage is far lower than it is in every other real estate asset class, but it still happens and you wouldn't want it happening to you because that'd be a bad day. (laughs) That's for sure. Now, now let's talk about uh, passive income because a lot of people want to uh, buy or run businesses where they can sort of be offhand. So is this, is this that type of business or where you can, you know, hire employees and uh, have them run the business or you have to be really involved in it? So it it depends on how you run it. So if you buy a project that's big enough, Mm -hmm. you can hire a third-party management company like like our guys, and we'll just run it for you. All you have to do is kind of look at the reports every month and ask a few questions. Uh, If you buy a smaller property, it won't support that. Now you've got to figure out how to run it yourself. Do you have an employee or a partner helping you with that? Do you do it all yourself? There's a lot of really good technology tools to help reduce the headache of doing it yourself. But if you're going to do it yourself, you got to have some guidance or you'll make a lot of mistakes and you will not enjoy it. Um, So, so there's a, there's different ways to do it depending on the size of the project and where that project is and and really what your goals are for it. So it's still the kind of thing that some people will buy as their, um, you know, as their retirement thing, they'll buy it and they'll run it themselves for a while until they're tired of doing that. Then they'll get a part-time helper or two so they don't have to devote a lot of time to it. And then, you know, when they've, when they're done and they don't want to spend any more time on it, they either sell it or pass it to their kids or something. So it can be done like that. 
or it can be done as a passive investment where you have somebody else run it for you. It's just one other thing in your portfolio yeah. that can be done too. Uh, and then sometimes some people run it as their, that's their part-time thing. They work a full-time job doing whatever they're doing. And then they spend a couple hours every day on their storage project. So there's, there's a lot of ways to do it. Uh, just, you know, like anything else, if you do it wrong, you know, you won't like the bruises so yeah, for sure so uh, that's amazing thank you so much for sharing this information with us now if somebody in the audience want to get in touch with you and maybe discuss uh, opportunity to to open a South story unit how can they get in touch with you yep so you can find me on LinkedIn I'm there that's easy to find you can find me at jordheimconsulting.com uh, or go to store here, S-T-O-R-E-H-E-R-E, -E -E, just like it sounds, storehere.com. So there's a couple ways. Find me on LinkedIn, go to Jordheim Consulting, or find me at store here. And awesome. be glad to help you with any of that. Great. Well, thank you so much yeah. for being with us today and sharing this knowledge about South Storage Unit, which has been very fascinating. Well, thanks, Manush, for letting And that's all for now. Until next time. And if you are an existing or an aspiring tech entrepreneur, then I invite you to check out my new online workshop, Bootstrapping Your Tech Startup Dreams. Go to bootstraptechstartup.com and sign up for free. I want to make sure that more successful and sound decisions are made every day in your tech projects. Let's start finding solutions to your problems. So go to bootstraptechstartup.com and I look forward to helping you with your tech projects. If you want more engaging videos and insightful interviews with industry's thought leaders, then check out other videos we have picked for you. The link is right there. And if you want to be notified about our new content, please do consider subscribing to our channel.